All right, take your Bibles and stand with me and turn to the book of Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Now today, and, and by the way, the, the clock didn't come up. Does that mean I can just preach till I'm, I'm done? Okay. And by the way, I'm supposed to, I, I forgot to welcome our Fairview folks. And, and uh, just remember, uh, it, you know, we're just substitutes. The real McCoy will be back in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, but uh, in Exodus 32, we have the great sin that, remember when Aaron made the calf and they worshiped the calf and, uh, and then Moses is in the mountain. God tells him what's going on. Moses comes down. Now you talk about a leader. Moses was a leader. He comes down and he, he wears old Aaron out for what he's done. And then he takes and burns that calf, grinds it up, throws it on the water, makes him drink the water. How'd you like him to be your pastor? <laughs> I mean, it's not just good enough to say, I'm sorry. Drink it, boy. Drink it. <laughs> you know, we're going we're to fix this where you won't want to do this for a long time. 3,000 people die because of their sin. And God said to Moses, said, listen, I'll just wipe them all out. And I'll start with you and I'll have a whole new people. I'll wipe them out. And Moses prayed, God, please spare them. Spare them. And God changed his mind. And God spared them. And then we get to chapter 33, and this is where our text will be. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, and to the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, And to thy seed will I give it. Verse 2. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Parasite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want you to watch what's about to happen here. God has already agreed through Moses' prayer to spare their lives. And then God tells them what he's going to let them go into the land and what, what they're going to experience. But then look at the last part of verse number three. I, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. Now I want you to go over to verse 12, and that will help explain and help us to understand what's happening here in the last part of verse number three. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let us know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, and that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, Boy, I love these words of Moses. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known that here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. It is not in that thou ha is, is it not in that thou goest with us? 
so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Father, bless your word today. Challenge our lives like never before to want to know what it means to live in your presence day after day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do you measure your spiritual walk? I mean, how do, you, how do you measure where you are spiritually in your life? And I don't know about you, but I have the kind of personality that I need to measure things. I need to, I need to know where I'm at and what's going on. So how do we measure? What is the true measuring rod? And, and, and what we find in our text today, that the true measuring rod of where I am spiritually and where you are spiritually is the manifest presence of Almighty God. Now, when we get in chapter 33, God tells Moses what he will and will not do about going into the promised land. First of all, what he will allow them to experience. We find in verse number one that he will allow the people to make progress. Look at what he says. He says to them, depart and go up hence and to, uh, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto that land which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob saying unto thy seed will I give it. In other words, he promised them progress. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to see progress, don't you? I remember a story of a man that uh, used to go down at the train station many, many years ago, and he was a preacher, and he'd just stand at the train station and watch the train come in and go out, and somebody asked him one day, why do you do this all the time? He said, man, I just love to see something moving without me having to push it. And you know, the truth of the matter is, I love to see progress. I love to see things going forward. I, 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 I'm, I'd much rather see something going forward than to see it going backward. And I love to see the church grow. And I love to see folks baptized. And I love to hear the names of people being read that are becoming part of the church body. Amen? Don't you love progress? Man, I thank God for progress, and progress is wonderful. Now look at verse number two. He said he'll allow the people to see his power. Not just progress, but his power. Look at verse number two. And I will send an angel before thee, and I'll drive out all of those ites. I'll get rid of all those ites. I'm, I mean, I'm going to get rid of them. I, you're going you're to see me at work. And let me tell you, I love to watch God do what only God can do. How about you? I love to see God at work. And when I see God at work, I get excited about things. I mean, I can talk about what I've seen God do. And God's done great and mighty things. I love to see lives changed. I, I love to see people when diseases are healed. And I love to see how God can restore a broken life and a broken home and a broken marriage. I love to see how God can restore a wayward child. I love to see what God can do. Amen. I mean, I love to see God at work. And then look at verse 33, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 3 of chapter 33, the first part. He says now, I will allow the people to prosper. Look what he said. You go up into the land flowing with milk and honey. That's, that's prosperity. Now, I don't know about you, but I rejoice when I, 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 I just rejoice when I see people getting new jobs and better jobs. How about you? I, I do. I, I rejoice when I see somebody get a new car. 
Now I know, I, listen, I know in the church there's a much people, well, you got a new car. Well, they got that big new fancy house. You're just jealous, man. That's your problem. You're just jealous. But I, I, I rejoice. I mean, as a pastor for 46 years, I rejoiced when I saw our people prosper. And, and when I pastored at Decatur Baptist for many, many, many years, we took one Sunday a month and I prayed over our people's job. And if they didn't have a job, I prayed they'd get a job. If they had a job that wouldn't financially take care of them, I prayed they'd get a better job. And man, I rejoice when somebody would come up and say, Pastor, I got a raise. And I'd say, glory to God, the tithe will get bigger. I did. I, I, I did that. Hey, hey, I, I, hey I, didn't, I didn't pray they'd get a better job so they could rob God in a better way. I prayed they'd get a better job so that they could serve God in a better way. Amen. Somebody just say amen right there. Man, I, I, I love to see when God's people are prospering. I, I love it. I, 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 I do. I, I love when we have enough and even more than enough. I, I rejoice when the offerings are up. I rejoice when the attendance is up. I thank God for progress. I thank God for seeing His power And I thank God when we prosper. I pray for that. And there's nothing wrong in praying for that. I want you to see number two, though, in your notes. What he will not do with the people. The last part of verse 33, something happens. And he says to them, I will not go up with thee. You've got to read over to verse 12 through 16 that I read with you to understand What was happening? Moses said, I need to know who's going with us. I need to go. No, it it wasn't Moses wanted a a, a better than Aaron, even though he'd he'd already thrashed old Aaron pretty good over what he had done. But Moses was saying, God, if you don't go, I don't want to go. I don't want to go into the promised land without you. And here's what Moses was saying. Moses was saying, God, prosperity Power, progress means nothing if we don't have your presence. It means nothing if we don't have your presence. Now let me be honest with you. We spend so much time on on progress. We spend so much time on wanting to see God at work, the power. We spend so much time on, on, on prosperity, but we spend so little time on having God's manifest presence at work in our life. I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor. One of the things I had to be real careful with is that I would judge my spiritual walk sometimes according to my sermons. If I preached a good one, man, I must be walking with God. And then God reminded me, if I can have a donkey talk, Don't you get too high on yourself, boy. Amen. Now, I started to use the King James right there, but some of you couldn't take that. You swear up and down. The preacher's gone on a sabbatical and he brought in this guy and he's cussing right in the pulpit. 
You see, I can't judge my walk with God because things are prospering around me. Because the Bible does say that it'll rain on the just and the unjust. Now, we quote that in the negative term, right? Well, it's bad things happen to this one and bad things happen. Let me tell you, it's also in the positive, not just the negative, the positive, the just and the unjust. But I can have the yardstick of knowing where I walk with God in his manifest presence in my life. Now, I, I realize when, when you get to where I'm at right now, some of you folks are saying, well, I don't know if what he's saying is really biblical. So let me just tell you, I, I, I do know a little bit about the Bible. And so let me, let me make sure I clear this up doctrinally, okay? Doctrinally, I want you to understand the omnipresence of God. Now, one of the characteristics of God is his omnipresence. Now, that, that is from God in the beginning to God through eternity. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Is God in here? Absolutely. He's everywhere. That's the omnipresence of God. But I want you to know, God was also an omnipresent God when he said to Moses, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses knew he was an omnipresent God when he said, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go up. Are, are you with me? You see, I also understand Hebrews 13, 5, when he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When I got saved January 1, 1970, I didn't realize it, didn't know it. I, I knew nothing about the Bible. I, I, I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. I thought Job was Job. But the Spirit of God came to live in me, but he, and He will never leave me nor forsake me. You see, I'm not eternally secure today because I'm good. I'm eternally secure today because God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of me. Are you with me? But because God is omnipresent and because God lives inside of his children and will never leave them nor forsake them does not mean that God's presence is going to be manifested. Now, I know he's here, but I love it when he comes and shows up and shows out. Amen. Now, I can say this morning, God's here. But I just don't want to know that God is omnipresent and here I want God to show up and I want God to show out. And in my life, I want God to show up and show out in my life. An old preacher was asked one day, can you explain the unction of the Holy Ghost? And the old preacher thought for a moment, he said, I don't know if I can explain it or not, but I can tell you one thing. I know when it shows up and I know when it doesn't show up. The presence, the manifest presence of God. Over in Acts chapter 8, they're having the revival in Samaria. And Philip has gone down and he's preaching to those uh, half-breeds. And God is doing a phenomenal work. They send old Peter and John from Jerusalem down. And Peter and John are laying hands on these folks and they're receiving the Holy Ghost. And while they're laying hands on him, there's a man, but the hands on them, there's a man by the name of Simon that sees what's taking place. He sees the manifest presence of God. He sees God moving in a mighty way. Do you know what he said? Man, I want that. 
Man, I want, when I lay my hand, I want to be able to lay my hands on people and see stuff like that happen. And you know what, that, what happened? I mean, they condemned him. They told him, I mean, they laid him out. They laid him out in such a way that old Simon said, man, pray for me. I don't want any of what you've said to me to happen to me. But he knew something was different. Something was happening. Simon saw the manifest presence of God. Now, again, let me, let me just come back and, and, and let you see biblically. God wants me in my life to not just know that he lives in me and will not forsake me, but he wants his power to live out through me. And when his power is living out through me, that's when the presence of God is manifesting. The Bible says in Psalm 71 verse 18, Until I showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is come. What was David talking about here? He was talking about God and his presence working in and through us. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In power. My life verse right now for how I'll end my life is Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Let me tell you, it's not just enough that I know he lives in me. He wants to work in me and through me. And let me tell you this, when he begins to work in us and through us, we know it. We know it. I, I'm going to tell you, guys, I, I have not experienced the manifest presence of God near like I want to. But I can tell you right now, God can show up and in 15 seconds do for me what I couldn't do in 15 years of my own life. Amen. I'll never forget years ago in... Tennessee when I pastored there I'd won a young couple to the Lord and her mom had died and we went into Rogersville Tennessee anybody know that brother do you sing up in that part of the world they got a lot of nasal up there and, and a lot of hackers up there and, and we were in the, the funeral home and I'm telling you it was packed with people it was packed with people and the old preacher began to preach and he's a hacker do you, do you know what I mean by hacker the Lord said and I'll tell you and he's a hacker, okay? That's hacking. That's hacking. I'm And as a young preacher, I thought that we were supposed to do some of that. I, I tell you, the Lord, and then I, I can hack. I can tell you, I can hack. And that old man walked up and down the aisle, and there was spit going everywhere, and he was preaching on hell, and it was unreal. And after the service at the gravesite, there was another pastor there. And he was the pastor of another one of the siblings. And we stood in that cemetery and criticized that old man. We talked about how horrible that was. We had a, they had a, a house full of people and he just hacked and spit and preached on hell. And, and, uh, and I, I'm telling you, I mean, he looked at some of them and said, I'm going to tell you right now, mama's in heaven, but you're going to go to hell. And I mean, he, he laid it on them. And we, uh, we just criticized that old man. And I got in my car and I was going down 11W, that old curvy road, going back to Morristown, Tennessee, where I pastored. And, you know, there I am. I'm a, I'm a college graduate. And, 
you know, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. The Lord began to talk to me. The manifest presence is happening now. And the Lord said, do you know the difference between you and that old man? Now, I'm going to tell you, when God shows up, you talk to him. You, you do know that, don't you? You may not be talking out loud. I had a black preacher friend of mine say one time that God showed up in manifest presence and he's driving his car and he'd just tell him how much he loved him and looked over and the guy in the other car was looking over trying to see who was in the seat with him there. <laughs> but I began to talk to him. He said, you know the difference between you and that old man? And I told him what I thought the difference was. I said, one, he, he destroyed the king's English. And uh, he's spitting everywhere and walking up and down the aisle and pointing his finger and pointing people out and embarrassing people. And I mean, I just told God all about him. And God said, no, you missed it, Doug. He said, you know the difference between you and that old man? I said, what? He said, that old man's not ashamed of me. But you would have been, preacher. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, the manifest presence of God was so real that the first place I could pull off, I had to pull off, I couldn't see the road. I was crying. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I, was, I had, had to pull off. I had, had to pull off. And God and I got some things settled that day. And I promised God from that day on I would never preach a funeral that I didn't give people the opportunity to get saved. Now, I, I, I didn't start hacking. And when I preach a funeral, I don't walk up and down the aisle and spit everywhere. But I'm reminded of that old preacher, and I don't ever want God to tell me again that I'm ashamed of him. You see, the manifold presence of God. The Bible said in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, he said, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. To show himself strong. You see, God, God not only wants to live in me, God wants to show himself strong through me. Are you, are you with me? As a young preacher there in the mountains of Tennessee, I had a prayer altar on top of one of those mountains. It was, it was phenomenal. I, I could, I could, where I could stand... I could see two-thirds of the city. I could see the city this way and that way. And man, I, just, I prayed over every Saturday. If I was in town, I prayed over our city. I mean, I, I prayed. And I never got up on top of that mountain to pray that wind didn't blow. I mean, there was always a breeze blowing. And, and it would remind me of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind that would blow. And I, I mean, I, I love my prayer altar. And I had an evangelist friend. Came to preach. Well, I say a friend. He became a great friend. But he came for the first time to preach for us. And I invited him to my prayer altar. And we go up on the mountain. And, and I told him, I said, here's what we'll do. I said, I'll pray and then you can pray and then we'll go. He said, well, that'd be fine, preacher. I, I, I'm, I'm honored that you'd have me come up here and pray. So I prayed. And when I got through praying... I stopped and I didn't say amen. It was his time to pray. And he started praying. And Shekinah glory came on my altar. Preacher, 
He named over a hundred missionaries by name and the countries they served in and prayed for personal needs in their life. He prayed for over a hundred and fifty pastors by name and the city and the church they pastored. He named out their children that were, that were serving the Lord and the children that were not serving the Lord. And I'm telling you, when we got done, that little old prayer of mine was so anemic. And I said, God, I don't know what he's got, but I want some of that. Now, we became great friends, and he had a ministry to broken families, and I'd go preach for him once a year, and, and I'd, I'd preach for him for a week. Every morning for that week, I'd meet him at 5 o'clock in the morning. Five o'clock in the morning, he'd hand me a little old bottle of grape juice to, uh, to drink and we'd go into the prayer room. We'd go into the prayer room and I'd get, I'd get my little anemic prayer over. Lord, bless us. And, and then listen to him pray. Listen to him pray. I, I'm telling you, God wants to show up and show out in our lives. Now, I, I realize there's some of you sitting here today. We, we have so accept, accepted Christianity to be cold and stale. When God doesn't want it cold and stale. Are you with me? And we're scared to death of the Pentecostals. You know that. I, I mean, you, do, you, do, you, do you realize that, we, that our choir just sang a song about dancing before the Lord? Well, if somebody started dancing in here, half of you would have a stroke. Hello? I can take you with me to the mission field in Africa and they dance all over the place. Are, are, are you with me? God wants to do a work in our hearts and our lives and God wants to show up and God wants to show out. Let me, let me show you the next thing. What the people do. The verse, 30, uh, verse 4 of chapter 33. The Bible said they mourn. When God said, I'm not going to go with you, they mourn. And, and here's why. I may not fully understand the manifest presence of God. And you may not fully understand the manifest presence of God. But I promise you, they did. They knew what it was for God to be with them. They were in Egypt and they watched the plagues come through. They were in Egypt the night the death angel went by and he passed their house, but they heard the mourning in the house of the Egyptians. They were at the Red Sea when old Moses stuck out the rod and that baby parted and they walked across on dry ground. They knew about the presence of God. They understood what it was to look up and there was a cloud that led them in the daytime and at night they looked up and a pillar of fire led them. They knew the manifest presence of God. And buddy, they didn't want to go without Him. You know, progress is great. Prosperity is great. Seeing God do what only God can do is great. But let me tell you, living in the presence of God, working in and through us, is the greatest thing you'll ever experience. Number four, what we learned from Moses. Moses said, God, if you don't go, even though Canaan's a land flowing with milk and honey, I'd, I don't want to go. If you're not going with me, I'm not going. I'm not going. 
and verse 16. Look at what verse 16 says. This is so important. He said, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? If, if, if you want the world to know that we, you, you want everybody to know and you want everybody around us to know that you have forgiven us of our stupidity and our sin, then the greatest way that's going to happen is that you go with us. And then look what he said. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all of the people that are upon the face of the earth. Let me tell you right now. You know what separates us? It's the manifest presence of God. I, I, I mean, it distinguishes one Christian from another. It distinguishes one church from another. Listen, there's a lot of good churches, but God doesn't show up and show out. Are, are you with me? There's a lot of good churches. It distinguishes one ministry from another. It, it distinguishes one mission from another. As preparing, while preparing the sermon, I, I begin to ask myself, when was the first time I remember experiencing the manifest presence of God. And it was the night I got saved. Now, I'm going to take you back some memory lanes for you. The night I got saved, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I didn't know what all was going on, but I knew something was going on. The things I hated, I no longer hated. And the things I didn't desire before, I started desiring them. I mean, I, I, I wanted to change. I, I mean, I, I didn't want to live the way I used to live. And for the first time in my life, I was experiencing something that I had never experienced before. And it wasn't just that my sins were forgiven, but the manifest presence of God was real. God was in me. And God was working in me and on me and through me. And I wanted, I, I, I wanted that. I mean, I wanted him to change my life. I wanted to know the Bible. I wanted to serve God. And I'm going to tell you right now, I wanted to live holy for the first time in my life. I mean, I, I, before I got saved, I'd rather lie than tell the truth. I'm telling you, when I got saved, I had to learn a whole new vocabulary. Because the old one was so nasty and filthy. And I, want, I, I, I just wanted my mouth clean. I wanted my eyes clean. I wanted my mind clean. Why? Because God had showed up in my life. And I'm going to tell you, as I said a moment ago, that's not near as often as I'd like for it to happen. But I'm going to tell you, God wants to do it a whole lot more than I sometimes seek for him to do. I want to talk about tithing for a moment. Does that sound like a good subject? Can I be real honest with you? There, there, I, I mean, I, I hear people say, well, I have trouble talking about tithing. I just don't want, you know, I just have trouble talking about tithing. Well, let me tell you, for 46 years, I had trouble not talking about tithing. You know why? Do you know what Bi the Bible says about tithing? Let me give you a little bit. First of all, tithing was before the law. Somebody said, well, tithing is Old Testament law. Well, bless your heart. Why don't you tithe Old Testament law? That's 33 and one third percent. Am I right, preacher? Yeah. You say, that's Old Testament. 33 and one third. Where's Dustin at? We can increase the offering really quick. 
Now, I'm not a mathematician nor a son of a mathematician, but 33 and one-third is a whole lot more than 10%. Are you with me? But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when we tithe, God opens the window of heaven. And he pours down blessings on us so great we can't even contain them all. Now, I, I sort of picture this in my mind like this. You ever watched a movie where somebody, I, I, I love cowboy movies, okay? I can't wait till we get to heaven. He'll have them all stocked up. And, and, and you know, somebody throws a bucket of water out the window and the guy's walking under and it gets on him. Well, I, I just want God to open the window to heaven and just pour it down on me. How about you? Come on, talk to me. How many of you would like to have that? Raise both hands. I mean, raise it up and wave at them. That, that's, that's what I want. Let me tell you, can that happen and you not know it? <laughs> Of course not. When God begins to do that, you begin to experience the manifold presence of God. I mean, you begin to experience how that God is, 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 is showing himself strong. And then you know what he said he would do? He'd stop the devourer. Now, I grew up on a farm. I, I, I grew up on a farm. Boy, hated every minute of it. Hated every minute of it. Learned nothing. Learned nothing. All I learned how to do is cuss and try to get gone as quick as I could. But the truth of the matter is, as I got older, I loved that kind of life. And you know what that devourer is, buddy? That devours the thing that stops the crops. That devours the thing that takes away the profit. That devours the thing that destroys what could be good. And you know what? When God shows up to take care of that devourer, do you know it? Is his presence manifested? Absolutely. So when I talked about tithing for 46 years, all I wanted was for our people to get under the presence and the power of Almighty God. Amen? Now, I gave our tithe today. Not because I'm preaching today, but because it's time to give the tithe. And when I gave the tithe, I went by and put it in the box. And when I gave the tithe, you know what I'm expecting? I'm expecting the windows to open. Amen? I'm expecting that bucket of water from God to come down. And when it comes down, I'm not going to say, whoa, what is this? I know what it is. I'm expecting God to take care of the devourer. Well, let me take you on quickly and we'll bring her to a close. What we learn from the people... And we go back in verse 5, and it takes us on up through verse number 11. Let me give it to you quickly. Number 1, they repented. Look at verse number 6. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. Now, the first thing they do after they mourn, they repent over the sin. And they'd taken their ornaments, and they made that that, uh, pagan calf. Now, the Bible said they, they stripped themselves. Now, let me, let me explain it like this. I can take your coat off of you. You, know, you ever come in and somebody said, may I take your coat? How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? May I take your coat? And I can take your coat. But you can walk in and I can strip your coat off of you. Amen? And it won't be gentle. I mean, it's stripping it off. And, and, and listen, every word in the Bible is important. And God is saying, I want you to know these guys are so 
sorry. They're so broken over what they've done that getting rid of these ornaments is part of their repentance and they're stripping themselves of it, buddy. They're, they're getting it off. You say, Brother Doug, I don't know much about this manifest presence of God. Well, get sin out of your life and you will. You see, as a Christian, we ought to keep sin on a short list. Now, I am a Baptist, okay? And I'm a Baptist by conviction, okay? I was an ordained Church of God preacher, and I thank God for what I learned in the Church of God. I, I learned some things about worship I wouldn't give up for any amount of money. But how many times have I heard folks in a Baptist church, and thank God nobody did it today. Brother, come pray for us. And he gets up and prays. And at the end of the prayer, he says, and forgive us of our sins. Amen. Do you know I used to pray that prayer before I got saved? Now, if I was drinking, I wouldn't pray. Because, see, I thought that God could only see me when I talked to him. And if I wasn't talking to him, he couldn't see me. You say, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Well, let me tell you something. Unsaved people believe all kinds of dumb, stupid things. But if I hadn't been drinking, I'd pray. And here's how I'd pray. Lord, forgive me of all my sins I've committed today and all I'm going to commit tomorrow. And I was still as lost as a golf ball in high weeds. Because there was no sincerity. There was no brokenness over it. Let me tell you, as a Christian, if the way you get your heart right with God is at the end of the night or the end of the day and you're about to go to sleep and you pray, God, forgive me of all my sins. Amen. You don't mean it. Let me tell you how you pray for sin in your life. Pray when you do it. And be sorry that you did it. And ask God not only to forgive you, but ask God to help you to stop. Stop it. Are you with me? They repented. Then they had corporate worship. Verse number seven, the the cloud had moved outside the camp and and Moses had taken the tabernacle under instructions of God outside the camp. And for the people now to get to worship, they had to go outside. It took an effort to get there. And our pastor's been telling us that we've got to get back to corporate worship. And guys, I'm just giving it to you in the order that we find it in the scriptures here. But I promise you, corporate worship, what we're doing today is so very important if we're going to live in the manifest presence of God. Church is important. Are are you with me? And the the Bible is still so very true that that we're not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. But I want to get to verse 10. They had private worship. Verse number 10 tells us that that the people, all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. I promise you, you will not have public worship. That will not mean anything to you unless you have private worship. Now, let me just talk about, as I close this out here, the word worship for a moment, okay? 
When we talk about understanding our Bible and Bible teachings, there's a, there's, a, there's a Bible rule called the law of first mention. Now, what the law of first mention means, and this, this is, if you don't know this, you need to, right now is the time you need to wake up. The law of first mention is simply this. Wherever God mentions something, the first time in Scripture, that's what it's going to mean all the way through the Bible. Okay? Do you know where worship is mentioned the first time in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham said to the young men that were with him, when he had his son Isaac and going into the mountains of Moriah to, work, to, to sacrifice his son, being obedient to God, he said to those men, he said, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and then come back to you. Well, you look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. What did Abraham do? Abraham, worship is, is obedience to God. Worship is not just obeying God a little bit. Worship is obeying God with everything that's in us. I mean, we, we, we walk around in, 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 in so much disobedience... Well, I know I ought to. I, I run into people for years. I know what I ought to be doing. I'm not doing it. Listen, if you know what God has asked you to do, do it. And Abraham, was he obeyed God. Now watch the manifest presence of God as I tell you the story. You know, Abraham put Isaac on the, he made the altar, laid the wood down, put Isaac on it, pulled out the knife to take his son's life. That's what God had asked him to do. And all of a sudden, the Bible said the angel of the Lord appeared. Do you know who the angel of the Lord was? Jesus. Jesus came on that mountain in Moriah. And the Bible said God sent Abraham to the mount that he would show him. There's a whole ridge of those mountains, but there was a certain place that he sent him. And he's up there, and he's about to sacrifice his son. And according to Mr. Schofield, that angel of the Lord was the Lord Jesus that showed up. And he said to him, don't take, don't take his life. And over here now, a ram's caught in the thicket, and he sacrifices the ram. You say, well, that's a sweet story. But no, no, no. Jesus makes the story better. The Bible tells us over in the book of John chapter 8, Jesus speaking to the pharisaical group. He said, let me tell you, Abraham saw my day. And he rejoiced in it. You know what, what, what was Jesus talking about? He was talking about on Mount Moriah. You see, that's the manifest presence of Almighty God. He's on that mountain. And if you ever go to the Holy Land, and I know Pastor takes a lot of you over there, you're going to go to the place of the skull, Golgotha. You know what that is? That's the very place where Abraham offered up Isaac. You see, what Jesus did that day is he pulled back the curtain for old Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to let you see my day. I'm going to let you see, glory to God. He said, I'm going to let you see that right on this place, because of your obedience, I want you to see what's going to happen one day. Because I'm going to die for the sins of the world right where you are. Guys, let me tell you, that's the, manif- excuse me, that's the manifest presence 
of Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I love progress. I love seeing the power of God. I love prosperity. But there's nothing that compares to the presence of God. Nothing compares to it. We used to sing a song years ago in the presence of Jehovah. In his presence, chains fall off. In his presence, brokenness is healed. In his presence, in his presence. And I don't know about you, but I want, I want to be committed like never before in my life. Not just to rejoice in progress and rejoice in seeing God do a work or rejoice in prosperity but I want to spend my life asking God that I would have the manifest presence of His Spirit working in and through me. Amen? Is that your desire today? Well, let me tell you, it's only going to happen when you keep sin out of your life. I didn't say become sinless. But when you commit it, confess it. But if you've got to wait six or 12 hours before you go to lay down, before you confess it, you weren't sorry that you did it. Amen? You ever been in a fuss with your wife? Said something you shouldn't say? If you can make it 12 hours before you say, I'm sorry, somebody died. <laughs> Amen? Are you sorry? Do you mourn? Does it hurt? And by the way, I, I don't know about you, but I stay away from things that hurt. I, I'm telling you, if I've got a pair of shoes on that hurt, I'll throw them away. I don't care what they cost, I'll throw them away. I, I, I just, I, I, I stay away from what hurts. And sin ought to hurt us. Sin ought to hurt us. And then we ought to live our lives in worship. True biblical worship. And that's not just coming to church, which is so very important. But that's every day living in obedience to Almighty God. So as I close this morning, let me ask you. How many of you today, you know you're saved. You know if you died, you'd go to heaven. There's no doubt about it. And by the way, that's, a, that's, that's free. Thank God that's free. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, if you want the manifest presence of God in your life, that won't come easy. That comes from a committed walk with God. Are you with me? That comes with saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to serve you. I want you to show up in my life and show out in my life. And when you do, I will give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory.